We welcome you back to your seats. This week we are reading through Romans chapters 4 through 8. 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. If you're familiar with the book of Romans at all, these are heavy and full and rich. And also, you'll have some opportunity to recognize some verses. Like the, the translation, if you're familiar with the translation that you have been hearing You'll recognize particular verses in four, chapter four, five, six, seven, eight. As I was pondering these over the last several days, I've been thinking about these five chapters being a clinic on condemnation and righteousness, a clinic on shame and innocence, spirit and flesh. And Paul identifies over and over, and it's, it's as if we talked about chapters 1, 2, and 3, and chapter 1 and 2 laying some groundwork on what God actually has to deal with us, right? All the hurdles that we present when we get in our own way, humanity. What he has to actually deal with in order to be true to what he's promised, so many times, if you have an understanding, been around church a little bit, you might think of Romans as my righteousness. It's a book about my righteousness, the righteousness that I'm given because I believe. But it's also very much a book about God's righteousness, not just his justice, but his righteousness about I'm going to perform what I said I would do. Now, what's super encouraging is in the first couple of chapters, they were a hot mess, as we at times can be a mess ourselves. And rather than distance ourselves from that, it would be important that we connect with it. Anything that you're not really willing to connect with, let me just toss this out here, is kind of a general rule. There might be, could be, probably is, Shame associated with it. Anything that you're not super, like, upfront with, and yeah, I did that, and that's how that happened, and oh yeah, I was there, oh, that was, I was actually there. <laughs> like that, but you don't really want to talk about those things. What we might need to recognize is that feels like, I'm not glorifying sin, I get all that part. But there's also, very subtly, and the scripture encourages, to not be, encourages us to not be ignorant of Satan's devices, not ignorant of how he works. And one of the things that can happen in us is that we're not so willing to talk about and would like to just maybe keep that off the table. There might be, could be, probably is some shame associated with that. So when you look at those first couple chapters of how they just fell and fell and fell and fell and slid, and we connect with that and see God's righteousness. Then in chapter 3, there's a transition about salvation, banner 1. The blue banner to my right, your left. The start of salvation. Yes, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Yes. But that's the very recognition that starts this salvation process. But it doesn't end there. It's not just one banner. It wasn't just one promise. It's not just going to save you, and good luck from there. There is this transition 
that can happen for all of us and is promised for all of us. And as we begin this week, if you're reading tomorrow, chapter 4, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, you begin this journey on what we have here as the second banner, the green banner, freedom. Moving through freedom. And in these chapters, Paul hits different parts of struggle, his own struggle. He talks about his own struggle, which we reference here all the time, because it's encouraging, right? We're not saying, you know, the things Paul wanted to do, he couldn't do. What a deadbeat idiot. Like, that's not our point, right? We're bringing that up for some resonance that, like, sometimes I do things I don't want to do. Sometimes I can't do things I want to do. Paul was that way, too. That's encouraging. Because Paul's story doesn't end in 7. And it won't end in 7 for you. You'll read chapter 7 on Thursday. But on Friday, chapter 8, which we're going to reference, kicks off with, yes, I'm, I'm not really performing the way I want. And there's still no condemnation in them who are in Christ. That's good news. Like that's, The reason that's the gospel is because that's really good news. Like It's really good news. And I want you to hear it, and I want you to read it, and I want you to think about it. Ministry is difficult. Church has a lot of moving parts. It can be hard to do. It's hard sometimes. And my sense is, unless there is a niche, let's just join somebody else. But there is a niche. We have several things here, several niche things that happen in Christway, in our culture. And one of them is that salvation and freedom are not the same. Salvation and freedom are not the same. You can be saved and not necessarily free. And I could lift one of these bar stools and flip them up over my shoulder and I could preach the rest of the message with one of these bar stools up over my shoulder. And someone asked me, I did it a few weeks ago just as a visual. And someone just said, why are you doing that? <laughs> I said, that's an excellent question. Why am I carrying this around? Because the whole point is, I laid it down, I don't have to. That's the whole point. We walk around with things and we're carrying stuff that, frankly, not in the plan of God. That didn't come from a staff meeting. Those three banners came out of Exodus chapter 6, when the Lord Jehovah looked to Moses and said, Here's what I want to do for you. All the other gods are, are the predication is, What can you do for me? But, but the, the Lord God Jehovah looks at Moses and says, I'm going to tell you, here's what I'm going to do for you. And salvation and freedom are not the same. In the Moses context, salvation is getting you out of Egypt. But freedom is getting Egypt out of you. Salvation and freedom are not the same. It's important that we think in that context as we read through chapters 4 through 8. Today's Father's Day. Today is also Juneteenth. Juneteenth. I believe this is the first year that it's actually an official federal 
holiday. So the federal holiday of Juneteenth. Juneteenth is from June 19th. June 19th. 1865. 1865. And it was when the last slaves were freed in Texas. Federal holiday. I woke up this morning knowing it's June, Juneteenth. And I understood, I'd heard enough about it, read a little bit, but heard enough about it, that this was the, the day that the, the last of the slaves were actually freed, released, freed. Like, like free to go, kind of freed. And as I was lying there this morning thinking about this, I thought, yeah, but I wonder when President Lincoln emancipated slaves, which I did not have on direct recall. So I looked that up. January 1st, 1863. They were freed. June 19th, two and a half years later, 1865, they were actually freed. Nothing new under the sun, friends. <laughs> They were proclaimed free January 1st, 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation. This demographic of people proclaimed free. But it was two and a half years later before they were freed. Because you see, salvation and freedom aren't the same. You can be pronounced free and still live in this oppression. You can be pronounced free and not have to carry the weight, and still we show up with the weight. It's not unique. It's human. In fact, the writer of Hebrews went to say this. Please lay aside two things. Not just the sin. But the weight and the sin that besets us. A lot of times, it's just a Christian thing, man. It's just a Christian thing we do. We get so focused on the sinning that we forget about the weight. Brian Stewart is a cyclist. And in the last couple of years, I've taken up road cycling. And in those first year or so, you know, I'd, I'd do a little map on my phone, and it'd show where I biked, and, you know, I'd bike 15 miles, and it'd take me so long, you know, an hour or something like that. And, and then Brian had come back with, he did 20 miles in an hour. So I did 15 miles in an hour, Brian do 20. And I'm like, okay. Well, then I'd do 20 miles, you know, in an hour and 20 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes or something like that. Brian had come back, and I mean, he, it was almost like the same, we, literally one time we were doing it the same day. He just shot me instantly back his picture. I did 20 miles an hour and 15 minutes. He did 25. <laughs> but it was simple. I didn't feel condemnation. I just said, hey, pal, this isn't a fair comparison. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, strap a seven-year-old on your back. And let's go for a bike ride and see. Because you don't weigh the same thing I weigh, pal. I'm 255. So throw a seven-year-old in the backpack and let's see how you do, bub. 
When I got married, I weighed 200 pounds. I weighed 250, 255. My brother asked me the other day, he goes, man, 255? I'm like, dude, I weighed 255 for how? I don't know. I, as far as I can remember. Seems like a long time. You just carry it. You just carry it. Get used to it. Buy bigger clothes. Just carry it. We don't have to carry the weight. We don't have to. We can get comfy with it. And most of us understand what I just said. We can get comfy with it and carry it. But we don't have to. Just because Jesus says I'm free doesn't mean I live in freedom. Just because he says, Andy, you're free, doesn't mean I live in freedom. He's provided salvation and freedom for us. But it doesn't mean we live in it. Which needs to rattle the cage a little bit. Because we can. And that's not a shame thing, to feel bad about not living in it. It's a recognition of, I'm carrying things I don't have to carry. My favorite verse, right? 8, Romans 8, 33. Like, he says I'm innocent. He says you're innocent. But it doesn't mean you live like you're innocent. True? He says all power in heaven and earth is given to him, and he extends that to us to do greater things, but it doesn't mean we do. It's there. Has anybody ever had $20 in your jacket pocket and you didn't know it? And you'd have spent it because you were hungry, but you didn't realize you had 20 bucks in your jacket. That kind of thing. Like those things are there for us. And we don't utilize them. And sometimes we don't utilize them because of shame. Isn't it interesting? Freedom is the absence of shame. Yet we don't find freedom because of shame. But freedom is the absence of shame. Dan said it earlier. Nobody here is perfect. We all have sin. We all have failures. But here's the title for today. Your failures don't define you. Not in this room, not in this lifestyle, not in this kingdom. In this kingdom, your failures, my failures, don't define me. I do them. I fall and slip. I get in my own way. I chase after other gods. But my failures do not define me. How does that connect with shame? Because when our failures become our identity... That's shame. So I identify as a Christian, and I would say, are you free? In the 12 steps, you get down to step 12, and it starts like this. It says, after having a spiritual experience, after having had a spiritual experience, an enlightenment, then it goes on to step 12. The end of the 12 steps, it goes on. That's how it starts. And someone says, I'm in step 12. Do you know what I ask them? I say, tell me about your spiritual experience. And then when they reply, I have not had a spiritual experience, then you are not in step 12. Because that's the prerequisite for step 12. It doesn't mean it's bad to be in 11 or 10 or 9 or 8 or 7 or whatever. It's fine. But you're not in step 12 unless you've had that. And you can be a Christian. You can be a follower. But it's not just salvation. We're going for free. 
free when I can be me, clearly me, in all the mess up, in all the brokenness, in all the struggle. Because I will say it again, anytime we're struggling and just don't care for anyone to know or see that, very likely shame is present. It's a great telltale sign. It's an excellent, it's an excellent metric to recognize shame is probably present. So what do we do with it? We confess it. We give it to somebody. We tell someone. We bring it into the light. You know why shame is so powerful? Because it's in the dark. Satan loves the dark. Men love darkness because it hides their evil, but Satan loves the dark. And everything in the closet, in the dark, right, can be manipulated. But when you bring it into the light, I don't know that I've shared this story I don't know how to share the story with you, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share it. I say it all the time in the classes that I teach. So, uh, Christina works at La Quinta Inn. This is a parable. Okay, so Christina works at La Quinta. Christina saw me last week coming out of room 218 with a blonde gal. This is as quiet as it should be. Good. That's exactly how it should be. It should be very quiet. Again, it's a parable, okay? So she sees me coming out of room 218 with a blonde gal. And then I get a text from her, and she says, hey, can we talk a quick minute before church on Sunday? And so this morning after our 930 meeting, she comes back, and we talk. I said, hey, what's going on? How you doing? She says, I saw you with that blonde. Melinda ain't blonde. I said, yeah, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. She said, well, I just want to talk about something. I said, what? She said, like 500. I said, 500? 500 a month. I'm like, 500 a month? She said, yeah, that's what you're going to pay me to keep this quiet. I'm like, wow. Freeze right there. Do you think I'm stuck? Do I go for the checkbook? Do I feel cornered? Let me continue the story. I say, Christina, I'm so sorry that you had to see that. That was me. And I'm so sorry. Please forgive me for that. And I felt terrible about that. That was actually the first time that that had happened, and I felt terrible about that. So I went home and told Melinda. Melinda actually knows. We've talked about it. I think we're going to try to work our way through it. We're going to see. I've got some counseling set up. I'm super sorry. But Melinda knows. She said, well, then I ain't going to tell Melinda, but I'll tell the board. I bet they'd like to know. I say, I, that's so true, true. And after talking to Melinda, I put in a call to the board, and they are going to meet me after church today, actually. We're going to talk this through. You ready for this? Which is really what we should say to Satan. Now what you got? You get it? I'm the one that failed. But to be manipulated from that failure, the way you break out of that is you bring it into the light. Skeletons in the closet, bring it into the light. Satan cannot manipulate what is in the light because light dispels darkness. Satan is not even in the light.
kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy. Did you know that? It says the kingdom of heaven in Romans. The kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy. What's righteousness? Innocence. Righteousness is the innocence that I get because of faith in who Jesus is. I believe in who Jesus is, and he calls me innocent. And we've already gone through this. I know I'm not. But the kingdom of heaven is righteousness. That should resonate with us. That's good news. And we're part of those righteous people. And that's salvation. But it doesn't stop there. Righteousness and peace. Peace. No innocence, no peace. N-O. K-N-O. Innocence and peace. I want to draw your attention to Romans chapter 5. I'm reading this out of the message. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, in the message, it says, this is the connection between righteousness and peace. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. We weren't able to get ourselves ready. Isn't that the entire Old Testament, right? The entire Old Testament lets us know that we were insufficient, could not get the job done. He says, and even if we hadn't, the middle and the bottom line, even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. Don't let that be lost on you. We were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. But even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. Do you know the problem that we have as humans? We don't know what to do. <laughs> we don't know what to do. We wouldn't have known what to do anyway. So, we do what's obvious. We do what's attractive. We do what's easy. That's how you form a habit. Is it obvious? Is it attractive? Is it easy? If you want to make a habit, and bad habits happen that way too. I've told the story. Sis and I were going to Chicago a couple years ago to perform the marriage for Link and Kathy's daughter, Alex, and we were driving up on 41, and there's no cell signal, there's no food, there's no gas, angels don't even tread up there, like there's nothing up there, it's 41 north, right, and I needed something out of the glove box, and I looked over, and I said, sis, can you just grab me a napkin or whatever, she opens it up, and what slid down the side as I glanced over to reach for the napkin was a Chick-fil-A packet, and immediately, my mouth was watering. I could, see, I could see the three chicken strips in the box, the crunchy, the grease, the whole thing. I saw the whole deal, and that was a trigger, and it prompted a craving, and I wanted to respond, and thank God we were up there, and there went a Chick-fil-A for hundreds of miles. Right? But that's it. You have these triggers. It's obvious, and it's attractive. And don't think sin's not attractive. And it's easy. We do those things. We run to those things because we're just hungry. We have these needs for acceptance and belonging and community, and we just run to these things. And we serve these other gods, and we chase down these other gods. That's what we do. Jesus has a better way. In fact, he says, I am the way. And when you look down at verse 9, verse 9 is so wonderful. This talks about the peace that we have and the righteousness. Listen to what happens. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 in the message. 
Now that we are set right with God by means of this sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, we are set right with God. We're set right with God. We're made right, just innocent. We're set right with him by Jesus' death and our belief in Jesus' death. Set right with God. We're accepted. He allows us in. But look at it. There's no, I love this phrase, because this is where the peace comes from, right? The kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. But the righteousness is the innocence, the salvation. And after righteousness is peace. This one. There's no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. Are you living like that? Because that's peace. I know I'm saved and I'm made innocent and thank you so much. Appreciate it, Andy. Got it. My question is this. Are you living like that? Flip that back, Liv. Just one, one slide before. There's no longer a question of being at odds with God in any And when I know that's the relationship, do you know what I feel when I walk into his house? Peace. Let me project something that may or may not be true. You were a teenager. It's past curfew. You're walking into the house, and the light's on in the kitchen, and one of your parents is sitting there. That feeling? Like, oh boy, here we go. That feeling? That's not the feeling we're talking about here. We're talking about not being at odds with God in any way. And it's unfortunate. And Christianity and church and religion is probably the source of it. But we get so afraid of God that we tiptoe around God. And we're so nervous about, and if he sees, and we hide ourselves. Let me tell you who hides. Adam and Eve hide. When you're hiding and covering yourself, that's the first story in the book. Like that goes all the way back to the beginning. When we feel like our failure has become our identity, we do what Adam and Eve did. We try to cover ourselves inadequately, and we hide. And when God calls to us, we don't answer, right? We're like, no, 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 I can't. It's a distance. That's not righteous. That's not peace. But peace is available. I love that phrase. I want to flip over to Romans chapter 7. In the NIV, we're going to read out of that. We're looking again at Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. So in chapter 5, he talks about this acceptance and belonging and community and what he's provided for us. And we're made right. And there's not anything between us. Like, I can just show up. Some of you had grandparents that you could walk in their house and it was the coolest thing ever. It was like a breath of fresh air from your actual parents' home, maybe, or something like that. Or maybe you had a wonderful home that you live in, but just to go to your grandparents' house was super cool. Whatever it was, city, farm, wherever they were. When I went to my grandparents' house on the way over, my mother said, remember, you don't speak unless you're spoken to. Okay, okay. So I remember just kind of hanging out, standing around, you know. That's not the house we want to walk into. You know the feeling of walking into a house where you're at ease. Romans 7, verse 19. This is, this is one that we reference all the time. I, I, said, I talked about it a moment ago. What I do, 
is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. <laughs> right? Take your phone out. Take a picture. Right? If you're not familiar, 719. Like this, right? this is Paul. This was written from a Corinthian jail. AD 57. Third missionary journey. This isn't while his name was still Saul. Right? Like, this is way down the line for this guy. And it says, I do not do the good I want to do and the evil I want to do. I keep on doing. That sounds like a mess. Like, if that's his resume and we're looking to hire him here, I'd be like, pal, you got some work to do. Like, I don't know if we're looking for that person. Yeah, all the, all the Excel things on the spreadsheets that I wanted to, I get them all wrong. <laughs> oh, well, come on board, right? Except that's the economy that we live in is that he's saying, yes, I am this. He goes on, verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Do you know what that language is? Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. That is shame language. Come on. What a wretched man I am. When your failure becomes your identity, that is shame. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Does anyone know the answer? Next verse. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus. Jesus puts me on this path of salvation and freedom and redemption. I am delivered by Jesus. I'm a mess. I still get in my way, but he says I'm innocent. And that's the stuff that you're going to be able to read this week. I feel like whatever we'd say, cussing about ourselves or whatever we say, you know, I'm just, man, I'm just this. I'm such a mess. Wretched man. He says, you know what? Jesus brings me out of that. Jesus It's not just righteousness. It's not just heaven. But it's a lifestyle of laying aside the sin and the idolatry of chasing all these other gods because they're obvious and they're attractive and they're easy. And by the way, they hunt you down. Yesterday, I pulled two batteries out of our fishing boat and took them to get checked. Today, on a Facebook feed, was an ad about a marine battery. I didn't search the internet for marine batteries, I don't think. I'm like, are you kidding me? Hit that site, and there's another site waiting on you right there. There's an enemy. They set you up. They chase you down. You don't have to live like that. Jesus Christ, our Lord, and then this is the end of seven... And we go into chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, that's transitional, right? I'm a mess. Jesus saved me. But now there's no condemnation. What is another word for condemnation? Shame. There's no shame. There's no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. No shame. I can walk in here and be who I am. I don't have to have ego. I don't have to be a poser. I was listening to a wonderful poet from D.C. on Friday at a conference in Indy. 
he said, man, I don't know if I'm a crackhead poser or if I'm actually doing something to make a difference. And when he said crackhead poser, I connected with the poser part. I've never had cocaine in my body, but I connected with that. I'm like, man, how much of me, ego, am I really doing? Am I just a poser? You don't have to be a poser. Nobody here is trying to be Christian. Let it go. We're trying to follow him. We're trying to be disciples. We're not trying to be Christian. We're trying to be disciples. We're trying to recognize that we are saved because we live in Romans 7, just like Paul did. And I can be innocent and still know all about myself. Why do you think he wrote that? Because it's obvious for us? No, 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 no. Because we need that kind of clear word that lets us go, oh yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. It is the truth that makes me free. And there's my truth, and there's his truth. (laughs) How many of you would like to adopt his truth? What he thinks of you. How he feels about you. The way that father looks at you, adopting that, being bathed in that, washed in that, getting up, putting your feet on the floor, and splashing around in all of that all day long, where I walk in his innocence. He freed me a long time ago. Now the question is, will I walk in that freedom? Because as Paul works through here, I want to take you to one more passage. Romans 8, 35. Pauline, I'm going to preach this a minute. And then I'll have you come up, okay? Romans 8, 35. You may be familiar with this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Could we read that together as a congregation? Would you indulge me in that? Can we read it together as a congregation? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Okay. Not trying to split hairs. Just want to show you something that I saw a few years ago. And we read the word who. Who will do it? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then the list that I'm about to read to you is not a who. Those are all what's, frankly, right? Shall trouble. Now, I know you're probably thinking of somebody that's trouble. (laughs) Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to the slaughter. He says in verse 37, no, in all these things, what are those things again? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. In all those things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's continue. 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present or the future, any powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Sounds comprehensive, but it's not. Sounds like a comprehensive list, but it is not a comprehensive list. Death, life, angels, demons, present, future, power, height, depth, anything else in all creation. Struck me on the anything else. Because those are lists of what's, not who. There is a who that can separate you from the love of Christ. There is. You. You can. There is a who that can do it and be me. I can separate myself. Years ago, I was in, Minnesota, uh, I guess, North Dakota. It was snowy. I wanted a snowy state. I was in a snowy state. North Dakota, and I was talking to a psychologist. And we were just having a one-on-one conversation. We were talking about these kinds of things. She was having an incredibly difficult time with what I just said, separating ourselves from the love of God. And so we walked over to a second-floor window, and it was a blizzard, snow, just a whiteout. And I looked, and I, I said, look out this window. I said, is the sun out there? And as I stand, right now, the truth, she said, no. I mean, I I get it, but was the sun out there? Yeah. Blocked. You know, when Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's anointed me to preach the gospel, deliverance to the captive, recovering of sight to the blind. You know that blind there doesn't mean My eyes don't work. It doesn't mean blind like he healed the blind man on the side of the road. That's not what blind means. Blind in that passage means as in an opaque room, a smoke-filled opaque room. Now, I fought fires in the Navy, and maybe if you had any kind of military training like that, or maybe actually even a firefighter, they would take you into a building. My eyes worked perfectly, but there was so much smoke in there I couldn't see a thing. Smoke-filled room. My eyes work, but I'm blocked. I essentially cannot see. The love of God is shed abundantly on us, but we block it. Let's get honest with ourselves here. We block it. We block it from our own failure, from our own sense of ability to receive love. Have you ever hugged someone, and you were so happy to see them, and you hugged them? And maybe you were happy to see them because sometime in the last three to six months, they'd been a knucklehead. (laughs) And you were so happy to see them and you hugged them. You just hugged them and they were stiff. Have you ever hugged someone and they were stiff? What do you think it meant they don't love you? Or you think they weren't able to receive your love? Not able to receive your love. Not able to actually receive it. From what? Shame. When failure becomes identity, and I'm just not able to receive it. There is a who that separates us. And also, I said it's not a, it's not a comprehensive list. Can we go to 38 again, Liv? Powerful sermon this morning. I have three Bibles with me, so. (laughs) Powerful one today. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, present or future. You can hold it right there. That's what's missing. 
feels like a comprehensive list. But having been a human a long time, I've been a human my whole life. <laughs> Pastoring a long time, walking with people, seeing how difficult it is for them to receive, for even me to receive the love of God, having lived in shame for so many years. I tell the story about my dad. He was a painter and a contractor, and he'd walk in this place, and I guarantee you, he'd look around, and he'd be checking out the trim and how that was cut on the wall. He'd be looking at that. That's just what he saw. I tell the story about my buddy who was a radio comms officer in the Navy on the destroyer with me, and we'd walk down the pier, and he'd go, wow, look at that radio suite. He's looking at an antenna. I'm like, dude, you need to get out more. Like, what? Like, that's what you see? That's what you... But that's, that was his world. Maybe that's why I saw this, because of the shame that I was delivered from. But you see, it says things present or future won't keep me from the love of God. But it doesn't say things past. It appears to be a comprehensive list, but it's not. And my understanding of my own life and human life, pastoring for a couple days, you realize that it's the past when we hold on to it. It keeps us from the love of God. It's when our past becomes our identity. And yes, all those things we did, but I'm unable to live in that innocence. I'm unable to accept who he says I am and his love shed abundantly upon me. I'm not. He hugs me and I'm stiff. Every day is a cloudy day. I long to see the sun, but, but when it shines on me, I turn. Oh, you don't have to live that way. You can walk into that space and let him love you. How many of us have been the person that was stiff? We got hugged and we were stiff. And how good, how good, how good it feels to melt. Right? Just simply. There is one person that will keep you from the love of God. And it is you. And it is you when you hold on to your past. But we don't have to live like that. And our failures don't have to define us. That's what makes the power of God and the gospel the power of God unto salvation. It is the good news that we can receive and live and share. Pauline, will you come up? It is so true that we are the one. We ourselves, I, myself, is the one that stop us from going to the Lord, from being free. Do we really know that Jesus is the answer? Do we really, really know that? Jesus can help us and could bring us through anything. And he, because he's, he already died for us. He actually not only died for us, but he, he was resurrected for us. But do we really know? Well, I think we quite know because the preacher keeps on telling us that. So it's supposed to be maybe. So if you know, do you really, really believe in it? But if you really believe in it, why is that that Monday, Wednesday, and Friday... I felt like I'm nobody. 
Sunday afternoon, I felt a little bit better because preacher has been telling us something different. Monday comes around, when we're back to our old circumstance, and we are lost again. What, 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 what is the discrepancy? We already established, we are the one, myself. Do not, do not, please, 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 do not give Sir Satan too much credit. He tempts me. He's the one. That's why I'm like that. No, 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 no. Let's talk about me, myself, and I. Do I really believe? Do I really know? If you don't, let's talk about it, right? After work. But if you believe and you know, then what is stopping us to have a fulfilling life, to have a life that is so strong that no matter how big of a storm is in front of us, we are okay with it, knowing that Jesus is in my boat. But what is the deal? You know, the whole Bible tells us, by faith, by faith, by faith. Why? Come on thinking, because I have to teach, so I have to think. Why, 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 why by faith? Because God knows that we will never understand his heart completely. And we are so smart that we think we're so smart. We use our, our reasoning, our knowledge to try to conquer, to understand him, to find the evidence that he really loves us. He's there. Jesus is the answer. We kept, we kept going on with, give me more evidence. Today, I'm failing now. Jesus, help me. But if he doesn't help me, I don't know really you love me or are you real? Rationality, reasoning, own IQ, own EQ. Don't understand. By the end of Saturday, you better pray that Sunday come faster and you come to the right church. Right? Why are we going this all the time? I guess Andy and I have the same understanding because we are so stubborn at heart. So I guess today, I want to finish up my sentence by saying this. Choose Jesus every time. No matter how hard your life is, no matter that drugs is so good to you, that ice cream is so good to you, that yelling and screaming is so good to you, that trying to control your life is so good to you, let it go. Choose Jesus. Because yet, he knew that we don't understand about everything. That's why he said, by faith. This means that before you understand, before you see all the evidence, believe, choose him every time. And that's not only for the new, new Christian. That's not only to the seekers. It's to me. It's to a Christian who is 55, 55-year Christian, 70, 89-year-old Christians. Choose Jesus. So let's encourage each other in prayer and remember each other's weakness and lift, us, lift ourselves up every day to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, it's I who stopped me from going to you. It's I who fail myself. It's I who always choose to believe myself or to seek for other gods. Today we come to you 
Your work is done. Your salvation is done. Your redemption is done. Your love is there. Your kingdom is here. Your glory is here. Help us to walk into it by surrendering ourselves to you. Help us, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And have a good week. Never.